You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of a career that soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. The Lead to Soar podcast is recorded on the ancestral home of the Ho-Chunk Nation in Madison, Wisconsin, USA, and on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Melbourne, Australia. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of these lands and their elders past and present and welcome any First Nations people listening today, wherever you are. Hello, listeners. It's Michelle here with two special, well, not, well, they are very special to me, two special guests. You normally hear from Mel. She's, she's with me on Lead to Soar as well. And we've also got the amazing Susan Colantuno. Welcome, friends. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. It's been a while since we recorded, so I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. I've been having withdrawal symptoms. We've all been the the big B word in the last couple of months, busy, um, or as I like to say, living full and fulfilling lives. Um, And we've kind of, we've been drifting along, relying on so, well, our own career network, a career that soars and text messages and WhatsApps and emails to stay in contact. So this is a real treat. And today we've decided to not only just get together and let you or, you know, allow you to have a peek inside the the conversations we have, but we're going to think out loud together because we've got a couple of different topics that have been, you know, uh, popping up over the last few months that we figure would be good to tease out our own thoughts about, and particularly in the context of what these things mean for women, work, careers, and leadership. So, and and really, this is our last episode for for 2022. OMG, where did 2022 go? Um, We'd love to leave you with a whole bunch of reflections, but you know what? It's been such a big year that would be, that would mean this would be a two-hour episode. So we're just going to go see you later at the end and happy 2022 and away we go. But um, Susan and Mel, the, the first topic that I'd love to hear your thoughts on, and I was a bit ranty about this subject earlier in the, this week that we're recording uh, in A Career That Soars and on social media, was about the Queen And what got my eyes rolling and me heaving very, very deep sighs was an article by an Australian, uh, well, she's actually, she's quite a significant woman here in Australia, Jamila uh, Rizvi, and she wrote an article that says the uh, an opinion piece that says yes, sometimes women are sexist too, but let's look a little deeper. And the premise of the of the article is that, you know, we hold women to a different account and we hear lots and lots of stuff about those nasty women who have sharp elbows, they are the queen bee, they lock other women out, so on and so forth. So I, I did, as I said, I heaved a great sigh and I went, here we go again, um, wrote a very short snappy it literally snappy social media post then went, actually, I need to demonstrate that I've given a little bit more thought to this. But my premise was, you know what? Women are assholes too, and that's okay. So over to you. I, I, want, I really want to discuss this, this, the queen bee syndrome, which just keeps coming up over and over again. Susan, thoughts? Well, I have two thoughts right off the bat. One is, do you know that the Queen Bee Syndrome has been written about since the 70s? 
Mm. What, else happened, what else happened in the 70s, Susan? Women started opening doors and wanting and aspiring to careers. And um, yeah, it's been around for a very long time. And it really pisses me off that it persists uh, as, a, as a concept. But um, it's understandable in the context. So that was my first thought was, holy cow, as you did, I'm tired of this and can't we just get over it? The second one was um, women being sexist. And I always associate sexism and racism as a manifestation of the in power group. So are we sexist if we don't like other women that we work with? Mm, that That's a good angle. Mel, what do you think? Oh, man, I have a lot of thoughts on this. So <laughs> I, I grew up in, let's just call it like it is. I grew up in Texas where it is a very patriarchal culture. A lot of it stems from uh, white Christianity, white Christian nationalism, and so if we can, if we can come to the conclusion that that uh, people of all genders can be indoctrinated into these uh, mindsets where women are lesser, even if they're not using that language, they are believing that in their minds and in how they treat people, etc., then I think, yes, women can be sexist too. Uh, I, they're probably not aware of it when it's happening. But yeah, I, I think sexism can, uh, can be on uh, all sides, so to speak. So I, I like the point or appreciate the point that you've made, Susan, about the the dominant group, and you know that the dominant if the dominant group is, let's say, a that section of society that you've just um, described, so white um, Christian or, or you know uh, Christian Judeo Christian background or what have you, yeah, I guess that that sexism or that dislike or uh, inequity expressed towards other women could play out, particularly if they're women of colour um, or non, you know, non-white. Um, but I guess the with, without – I, I kind of don't typically go down that track when I have – because I've got to say, every time I speak on a panel – uh, particularly to, to women's groups around career advice and things like that, I invariably get a question about, well, women aren't nice to other women and I don't like working for women and I prefer to work for men, not women. And my first reaction is, well, that's your internalised patriarchy. That's because we've been conditioned to hear the voices of men as authoritative, um, see men as uh, power figures, and we have expected to see women in roles that are stereotypically, you know, caring, nurturing, um, team player, blah 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 blah. And so that's that's the first thing. And then you know, for, for the second thing is, as I said, not men don't support other men. Not all men, I should say. Not all men support all other men. 
men can be assholes, so why can't women be assholes too? Um, and it's oh, it, well, this is a whole can of worms, right? Because I don't think we're we're here to uh, advocate for any of our listeners to be assholes, right? Like that's not the world we're trying to build here. I think there, your point is well taken, though that the queen bee syndrome is. Uh, a, a sexist sort of idea in and of itself because there is not an analog for men. However, uh, we can also acknowledge that there are times when women uh, behave in ways that we wish were different in the context of supporting women in the workplace. And that is true of men as well. So maybe maybe where we end up with this is emphasizing the the behavior that we are trying to get away from and acknowledging that bad behavior comes about in people of all genders like I think, yeah you know, Bill on that, Susan, because I've, I've got a very strong view about that. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I have strong views about so much that we've been talking about, as always. Uh, but I wanted to also advocate for the behaviors that we want to encourage. And as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of a quote from Gail Evans, who was uh, uh, CNN, which is a cable uh, network here in the U.S. She was the first woman executive vice president. She said, um, and this is something that's talked about in that article you referenced, Michelle, women have also been hesitant to give special treatment to other women for fear of being seen as someone who favors women. Uh, singling out one individual for special attention can fly in the face of our image of ourselves as fair, objective people who don't play favorites. But the guys mentor young men all the time, and we all see it. Uh, that's not part of her quote. The quote continues, we all know who the boss's favorite is and that he'll do anything he can for him. In fact, it's considered somewhat unusual if the boss doesn't have a protege. And she go on to make, go on, goes on to make the point that we all have to play on the women's team. Even if another woman gets a job we want for we want, it's opening up pathways for us and other women. So that that thing about um, about behaving in ways that are constructive for women in general, playing on the women's team is part of that. Yes, absolutely. And there, there's some research that was done on the side of sponsorship. And for our listeners, I'm delineating mentorship from sponsorship here. So I'm, I'm not talking about mentorship in the sense of spending one-on-one -on -one time with someone and sharing knowledge and helping someone develop. I'm talking about sponsorship in the sense of when a senior person becomes an advocate for a junior level person. Uh, so you can hear more about what I'm about to describe in the HBR Women at Work podcast episode titled Sponsorship, Defining the Relationship. And what the research showed is essentially that senior men are more effective sponsors than senior women. 
more effective in the sense that men are typically seen as the authority figures. We default to accepting men's recommendations in general, right? This is a generalization. And people are internally aware of this. So that senior woman, although she may have made it to a very senior level position, she may understand that she does not have the clout or the respect within the organization to be an effective sponsor. Or she might be concerned that she doesn't have enough respect or clout to be an effective sponsor for uh, for a junior woman. And so knowing those dynamics are at play, I, I think that that helps us understand as we're trying to move up a ladder that we cannot simply rely on someone who looks like us to help shepherd us up up the chain. And that's part of why this podcast is so important in speaking to leaders. We need men to step up to the plate when it comes to advocating for and sponsoring women. Or building on that, um, advocating for the woman's voice, the senior woman's voice who's in the room. And if you think about the the Carla Harris TED Talk, you know, who's that person in who's banging the table on your behalf uh, in the rooms that, that that you're not on? So if I'm if I am banging the table for my protege, for the person that I'm I'm sponsoring and putting my social and political capital on the line for, I want my peers to recognise that my voice may not, because I'm a woman, may not carry as much authority for my protégé as others. So I think, again, that's a really good call to action for for male leaders to to step in behind their colleagues, their female colleagues. What what I where I was getting excited before about though was, and, and look, we have we talk about this a lot, but. Um, interestingly, I was delivering some content yesterday, which my, my friend Susan here inspired me to deliver, which is around confidence, um, you know, the C word and confidence is built on competence, of course. But one of the things, one of the pieces of advice that I was sharing with uh, with, with the team, uh, the, the group that I was presenting to was that these things are rarely seen as a system issue. They are seen as an individual woman's issue. Now, whether that's a lack of confidence, whether it's a lack of authority around that table, um, whether it's a a behavioural trait, uh, queen bee or otherwise, this is often, it's brought in as a woman, the individual woman's issue, rather than what I, I guess what I am trying to to indicate my frustration at the system, which is fundamentally stacked against women, because we hold women in general to a higher set of behavioural standards than others. And at a system level, so for, for leaders listening in your organisation, how might that play out? And that's what I really want people to look at. How do the voices of women or the behaviours of women, how do they, uh, how are they judged more harshly than the voices and the behaviours of men in your workplace? And gee whiz, when you start to look through this lens, you will you can't unsee some of this stuff. Seventy five percent of feedback given to women is is subjective and about um, personal stuff about about personality. Whereas men, 
get mentored, coached, taught and given feedback about their impact on the business and less about their behaviour. So we really have to ask all of us when we think, when we go to criticise or provide critical feedback, number one, is it gendered? If yes, don't give it and get, give some better feedback. And, and, and that includes, uh, I think, circling back to, to where, you know, both of you were saying is, am I judging her harshly for not being on the woman's team or is she on the woman's team but she's actually being more subtle about it? because she doesn't want to appear to your point, Susan, doesn't want to appear to be that person, rightly or wrongly, who's on the woman's team flying the flag and she's unfair because she only advocates for women. That's really, it's a really tough one, but it's a system issue. A a related dynamic like that that um, came up in the article about Queen Bee is the expectation of women to be nice. So that's that's a behavioral set that generally has to do with being empathetic and having high emotional um, EQ. And when women step out of that box that we get put into, the systemic expectations of what's acceptable behavior for women, we suffer... Uh, because both women and men have that expectation of us. So this is, a, again, building on what you're saying ch- and, and where Michelle, uh, where uh, Mel was headed, that l- for leaders to be sensitive of the expectations they have, when, oh, I wanted to go somewhere else with that. Uh, this will require a bit, bit of editing, sorry. Um, yeah, the be nice thing. Oh, two things. So, so when it comes to this expectation that women are nice, we women, because we've we've internalized that for ourselves, many of us, when we see another woman who's not doing that, it we can uh, treat her poorly, and I think that's part of. Uh, this whole Queen Bee, Bee syndrome. The, an interesting thing that just popped up today was some research written about in Harvard Business Review about a study that, uh, again, affirms that women are expected to be nice, but it tied some interesting, uh, not real world s- studies about the impact on equity in monetary compensation. And in these studies that, again, they aren't real world, but they were fascinating to me. Women and men both expected the women to be nicer when it came to dispersing monetary rewards. But in fact, in the in the experiments that were done, women and men were equally nice. So I thought that was kind of interesting and, uh, and unexpected. Oh, and one other thing I want to say, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from executives, so leaders, put on your listening hat here, the phrase or something similar to this phrase, she's nice, but she can she be effective? So we're expected to be nice, and that's expected to be 
incompatible with being an effective business person. And boy, do we get hammered by that. And I think that comes more from uh, senior women and men uh, than it does from colleagues who might be offended by our lack of niceness when we're making business decisions. Yeah. Hashtag double bind for sure. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and you know, let me let me go straight to our three part leadership definition: engaging the greatness in others. So, engaging the hearts, the minds, and the efforts of others. So, really seeking out you know who they are, and yeah, being nice, having really strong interpersonal skills, reading the room, being politically savvy, and then hello aligning those people towards the goal, towards the strategic and financial goals of the organisation. And I've got to say, my beautiful nana, God rest her soul, Vale Kath, would always say, Michelle, you catch more bees with honey than honey. you do with vinegar. <laughs> my mother. <laughs> yeah. The same. Oh, so, you know, and I've got to say, being nice versus being an asshole is – has kind of worked for me. And I'm going to tell you, I've got a fair dose of asshole in me too. But, you know, um, <laughs> um, as a leader, it's about showing up and being able to, frankly, get people to do the stuff that's going to take the business forward. And for those of you who've worked for an authoritarian, autocratical dictator who doesn't give two hoots about you, couldn't care what gender what they are, versus someone who actually gets you and is bringing out your greatness and gives you great vision, lets you go and what have you. Who do you want to work for? And who are you going to do your best work for? So anyway, we've kind of, as, as we do, gone down some 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 rabbit holes here. But, uh, you know, I think the for me that the, the real call to action here is look at this as a system issue. The next time you think, wow, she's not a good woman because she's not a team player for women, <clears throat> pardon me, think about is this a system issue or is this a her issue? Is this a is this my internalized view about how women should be, or am I really, really judging her the same? And and I've got to say, I have in times where I've been a little bit tired and less tolerant, more grumpy, um, snapped back at people to say, "Well, would you hold a man? Would you say that about a man?" And people go, "Oh, yeah, oh, mate, yeah, no, I don't think you would." But anyway, so there you go, the queen bee. You're listening to Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. A Career That Soars, or ACTS, is an organization, a networking platform, and a place for career women to learn and connect. Our founder, Susan Colantuno, envisioned a group that would embrace women from all backgrounds and support one another towards achieving their highest career ambitions. Learn more about what you can get from ACTS by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. One other thing I wanted to talk about in relation to the Queen Bee, one of the points in the article 
was that uh, one of the factors that women get pegged with, why women get pegged with the queen bee tag is that we, we behave like we're not like the others, that we're not like all women. And because, (laughs) because, I have a long view being the elder stateswoman of this group. Um, Actually, that worked for women pioneers, that allying themselves with men was the only way to get a foot in the door. Now, today, that might also be necessary in certain industries, that are extremely anti-women in their culture. And I can think of a few, but I'm not going to name them. Construction and technology. Have have any of you seen the new work requirements that uh, came out today for Twitter? You have to be hardcore and work long days and all of this other stuff. Stuff that's very gender biased. Anyway, um, so in in certain other industries, it's much easier for women to be who we are in the full range of of who we are. But that thing about you know, I'm not like other women. Yeah, I'm not like other women in the sense that I care more about my career than I do about the color of nail polish that I'm wearing. You know, that's a fact of life for me. But going back to, well, I want to go back to something you said earlier, Mel, because it was so spot on. The internalized misogyny and patriarchy that might make a woman feel um, that she's worthy, but other women generally aren't, is really dysfunctional. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was just going to build on that something to that effect because that is uh, a mindset that that I, I feel was very strong in the area where I grew up the geography where I grew up that it was it it's almost something that you see women take on boastfully including I've seen it in in spaces like engineering like I'm different I'm not like other women and it's it's so it's so destructive you know what is what does that say about how that person thinks and believes internally about woman about women you know there I, I don't know it's almost like a, a unrecognized self-loathing that's happening and it's because the culture gives us these ideas our our culture the society media infiltrate these ideas around you're you're not worthy or valuable as a person unless you fit into you know these boxes that we've set out for you or whatever this this has so many layers to it so oh it it absolutely does but and i would feel duplicitous though if i didn't make a confession right now because that was me 
in my 30s. In my 30s, my career was accelerating. I was in, uh, because I was a manager and a leader, I was in male-dominated environments. I was then in particularly a cons- the construction side of the tel- telco that, that, that I worked for. And I would say things like, I prefer to hang around with the guys. I, you know, and, and I've written about the fact that I could work harder, drink harder, swear harder, still swear harder, um, play harder than, than any of the boys. I, I ran with the boys and I assimilated. I wouldn't have been able to put words like I'm assimilating to advance my career um, in front of me. But, uh, but inherently I knew that I didn't fly my feminist flag in those years because I needed to look like them, sound like them, behave like them so that I could be trusted to, oh, yeah, she's she's one of us, she's one of the boys, we'll give her a leg up. Um, where I deviated from some of the other behaviour that I, I have observed, which is the, the conquest or the little sister, um, you know, you're either a sexual conquest or you're the little sister to the, the big brothers. So I, I certainly didn't subscribe to either one of those for, for, for whatever reason. But, yeah, I confess that was me. Um, and, and I had a rude awakening. And, and it had to be because at that time, and I can totally identify with what you're saying, but at that time, the box that Mel just talked about didn't include the, the idea of woman as businesswoman, career oriented. So how, how can you, it almost required jumping out of the box in order to come back and reshape the box. Okay, I want to add a comment. And before I do, I want to say, uh, dear listeners, we're welcoming Amal joining us uh, in the discussion. Welcome, Amal. Hey, Amal. Uh, But before you do, Mel, I just want to make one final comment on that. That behavior did me enormous harm. Mm, Say more. It was harmful to me. It was harmful to my psyche, um, my emotions. Um, and, and I think eventually, had I not had a couple of matters that occurred in my whole life that caused me to stop, breathe and reflect on who the fuck I was. Sorry, we're going to have to, you know, bleep that out. No, don't bleep it out. But really make me stop and think who the hell I was and how was I going to live the rest of my life. I would not have progressed in my career. I would not have. I, I can guarantee because I wouldn't have been seen as uh, real, genuine. You know, the A word, authentic. Um, I because I simply I was occupying a persona, and I was not bringing my best self to for myself or for the or for the people that I led. So, yeah. So it, it this does harm and. Again, if you're an individual who feels like she has to assimilate, we want to help you. But let's look at this at a system level. How do we – this is why diversity, inclusion, equity is so important because we don't want assimilation. We want everyone to bring their brilliance so that we can tap into it, not have them all behave the same way. Back to you, Mel, and we'll, we'll let a male sort herself out from a, a sound perspective. Yeah, Okay. Um, I was just going to add that the the timeline around women's advancement is interesting here. So Susan mentioned that that sort of coping mechanism 
was effective for women who were trailblazing. And there are some industries where women have reached some sort of parity, probably not at the executive level, but some sort of parity within within an industry. But there are other industries like engineering and construction and certainly trades, uh, electricians and um, water and wastewater treatment plant operators, etc., where the the gender skew is still, you know, for water treatment plant operators, for example, it's still like 96% men. And so the so I can understand how how this coping mechanism comes in at the front of it. And I just got this is a, uh, a little bit deviating, but I, I just had this situation recently that it illustrated for me how we've come maybe a long way in the last few decades and how far we still have to go. So I'll, I'll add this in because it does have to do with me reflecting on this last year. So one of the things that I have worked on this last year is getting my parents moved closer to me. They are elderly, they need help, they need to be close to family. So I've been working this year to get them moved close to me. They're close to me now. And now we're going through all of these processes of uh, getting paperwork lined up and that sort of thing. So I'm I'm working with my mom the other day on some, some documentation. And we got to one of those things online where you've got to fill out the security questions. You pick a security question and then have an answer. And I, I picked out the question, uh, you know, the curse, the first car that you owned. And my mom turns to me and she says, well, the Subaru is the first car that I've ever owned. And that's the car she drives today. Before the car that she drives today, you know, a 2019 Subaru or whatever it is, she's not owned a car. Mm-hmm. I was completely floored. So to, to bring this around full circle, there's, there are different generations of women at work. And some of the women who are amongst us, uh, amongst us who have been the trailblazers they they are an older generation who were the tra- trailblazers in their fields i'm thinking of someone in engineering specifically their behavior can be rooted in how they had to survive to get to where they are today absolutely yeah and 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 so trailblazing isn't done. There are still women in, diff- in, in certain industries and or within certain companies within certain industries. And I think who are trailblazing, and I think it's really important for us to give grace to the trailblazers because sometimes allying themselves to some extent with the way men are doing business is the only way to not get seen as going back to something Michelle said, sex object, little sister, or job none, or work wife. And I, I, 
I have felt that the importance of that for a very long time. And, and people sometimes don't recognize what you were just saying, Mel, that there, that there isn't one course of women's advancement. It is very differentiated by industry and by companies within industries. And it's important to acknowledge that. So I'm glad you made that point. Here, here. Amal, welcome, and uh, g- give us give us your thoughts around. Well, you've picked up the thread, no doubt, but uh, over to you. Thank you. So, uh, so it took me a minute to think about, like at least my experiences, right, or my mom's experiences. I would say maybe that's that's closer to the shock. Um, is that my mom has always said that she aligned herself with males more than females because she felt that the women were backstabbing or were going to bat, you know, talk you. They were not focused really on the business and it was more of a popularity contest for them. And that was interesting to me to think through because I don't know that there, that's the case, at least for me or at least my experiences. But I don't, I don't know. Like my assumption has always been that as a woman, you, you, you know, you are trying to get the job done. You're not really thinking about I'm a male versus female you are trying to do your best to, to be worthy and to be seen as somebody who's efficient and who will get the job done and who's focused on the business. And then I think alignment just comes from who's around you. What I've heard women say is, I've worked really hard to get here. She needs to work as hard. Right? And I'm like, well, you paved the way. Do I really need to work hard? Like, <laughs> You should have done it for us, right? So I think it's... Maybe it's just looking at it from a different perspective, but realizing that as women, maybe we don't, we shouldn't see each other as competition, right? You do have, you know, you should pave the way and why not? And that is, I owe, you know, you owe me that much at least is to try and break those ceilings and open the doors for other women. And then when they come open the door and welcome them in versus pushing the door to say, well, now you need to push it a little bit harder to get it open for yourself. Mm. And, 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 I do appreciate the point around the mindset and, and it is still it is still there. And interestingly, um, you know, I, I have the mindset that I just want to make that pathway after me as smooth, glassy smooth as possible for every woman, no matter what generation she's in. And I don't subscribe, well, I, I shouldn't say clearly, but I don't subscribe to the fact that because I've done it tough and experienced some things that every other woman should do that I think that's, that flies in the face of, of, that flies in the face of humans and how we evolve. You know, evolution means that we make the next generation is better. It's more nourished. It's um, we have more opportunity. We're wealthier. We, and, and I think that mindset flies absolutely in the face of evolving as a as a race. So, uh, but I know I, again, and I'm, I'm I'm being a little bit pedant. I am being very pedantic about this. You know, women. Uh, you know, this is a system issue. So how might we help everyone understand? And and particularly, you know, if, if, there's, a, if there's a male leader listening to this right now, um, how might we, how might you use your influence, your power and your privilege to better understand that women are held to a higher standard than men and how might you use your voice and your and that power and that privilege and influence to smooth that out 
And some practical examples of that are when, you know, if she is, as we were talking about before, advocating for, for someone, get her voice heard. You know, I think there's, again, this system issue, this, this let's all examine our mindsets around women, work, leadership, power, um, and say, let me advocate for them, um, but acknowledge that it's complicated and nuanced. Okay, second topic, and I know that we've, we've, we've spent a lot of time on that one, but four-day working week, folks. So we've got lots happening around the world, and I've been watching this quietly uh, over the course of this year. So there's been uh, a trial in the UK of a, of a range of companies who have moved on to a four-day working week, and so it's a, it's a controlled trial. Uh, there is a movement called the four-day working week, and increasingly companies are talking about moving to a four-day working week. The most recent here in my geography of Australia was Unilever, uh, saying that their staff are going to go to a four, pardon me, a four-day working week, uh, the 180-100 model. Um, I'm less concerned about the model, more concerned about the four-day working week. And what I'm concerned about is what might this mean for women? And I don't know yet. I don't know yet. Susan. Yeah, something that was unclear to me in the article was, are they talking about four eight-hour days or four 10-hour days? So is it still a 40-hour week? Yeah, so they're saying their four-day working week translates to 100% of the salary over 80% of the working week whilst maintaining 100% of the productivity. So they're not squishing five days into four. They're, they're saying, you know, and, you know, let's face it, what is a what is a working day? It's so variable depending on industry, career stage, yada, yada. But, yeah, um, and they're saying one of the enablers or some of the enablers of that are slashing less value things like meetings, emails. And I'm wondering, <laughs> so number one, my head goes, explode how do you do that at a you know at, at a, a, an organizational level but again as I said I wonder what this might mean for the workplace experience for women and the advancement of women into leadership don't know one of the first thoughts that I have given that I was first where I misunderstood that so I was first worried about the impacts on women from a childcare perspective if they had to work for 10 hour days, um, which would be horrible for women. Uh, but even even if it's get 100% of the work done in 80% of the time, women are overburdened by maintenance work. I hate the phrase emotional work because it is not just emotional work, but women are overburdened by maintenance work. Like, will you manage the the team's party? Um, will you take notes at this meeting? Uh, will you even attend this meeting? It, and so I, I see huge potential risks if that factor isn't addressed at a systemic level. Can you give an example, Susan? 
because I'm, as I said, I'm really fuzzy on this, but my, my spidey senses are going ding, 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 but I, I can't put my finger on why. Unless the maintenance work is equally shared across women and men on a leadership team or on a, a, a operational team, if it defaults to women as it always does, it's an impossibility to cut out that low value work and maintain that 100% productivity because we are still expected, because if we are still expected to do the maintenance work of taking the minutes of the meeting all the time, uh, making sure that Joe's anniversary is appropriately celebrated, making arrangements for the team building session, then we we will have to put in like 120% of the time instead of 80. Oh, going back to what we talked about earlier about women being nice. And if we start saying no to that, that less valuable work or that maintenance work, I would project that it would have some additional adverse consequences on women saying no. No, no, no. All good. Mel, Amal, thoughts? I'm not immediately coming up with a a sense of a four-day work week being a problem. I I think problems come in when structure is too rigid to accommodate team members. And let's be clear, we're talking in, I I think, for the most part about white-collar workers right now, Uh, right? The white-collar workers who presumably they don't need to do every single task in their job at the same time as their colleagues are completing their tasks. There's some flexibility most of the time. There's some flexibility in when a white collar worker can do their work. And so I just have this sense of if, if the individuals are, doing what they need to do. They're delivering the outcomes that they need to deliver for their role. I don't understand so much why the leadership cares when and where that's happening. You know, so I think the issue for me becomes when things are mandated to employees rather than giving them some kind of flexibility, because I've seen, for example, I've seen so many different arrangements for uh, child care, or, you know, with couples that are separated, who gets the children when and managing that around jobs, there's just not going to be a one size fits all. And for some women, I'm sure some women are celebrating having a four day work week. And for other women, they're going to need something different. And that's okay. I think for me, the danger is that expectation of 100% of the 100% of the work in 80% of the time. And so we need listeners to go back and listen to the episode on avoiding office housework. Office housework. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, and that's been flashing before my eyes as, as Susan was speaking. So I think there's the avoiding office housework and there is a big, again, big call to action in there for leaders about the equitable distribution of tasks. The second piece I want to pick up, Mel, is leading for outcomes. So when the, this is this is now advice, when we do have to say no, 
it is going to be about both leaders and workers, people who are reporting to leaders, being clear about what's my positional purpose, what are the outcomes I'm here to, to lead for, how is this task that you're assigning me regularly, because let's face it, we all get the one-off, but this regular task, meeting minutes, organising the office party, office housework, how is that contributing to taking the business forward? And I feel like it's not fair that I'm getting that and Mel gets the opportunity to generate revenue with customers. So I think there's 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 real there's there's something really um, important. One size doesn't fit all. Totally agree, Mel. But we've got to get much much better about leading for outcomes. And I think the piece around the Unilever uh, article saying yeah you know, they're thinking about what are the enablers, removing some stuff. Great, as long as it's not moving it to women. And giving women less visible stuff to do. Well, we we won't do it because we're the important people. But we'll get a male and male to do the meetings and the you know the manage the Slack channel and all that kind of stuff. Not visible work. So, I, I, see, I'm thinking out loud. I'm, I'm now I'm getting I'm forming a view about why I'm feeling so just a little bit wary. I think the principle of people being able to produce the outcomes wherever and however they want is a good one. You know, this is flexible work, but it's the it's the inequity that can arise if we don't pay attention to it. What do you think, Amal? So I think the only thing that comes to my mind is there is a challenge with, you know, we're working 40-hour days now, 40-hour weeks with five days, right? And, and I probably work more than eight hours or 10 hours. And if we squeeze that into four days, then how long are you going to work? 14, 16-hour days? And probably spill over into the day, the fifth day. I think it works in some environments and that's why it's been flexible where teams get to decide. And there are many teams who work four days, 10 hours, and it's just fine. I just don't know that it's for everybody. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to say it's going to be more difficult for women. I'm going to say the company has to figure out how to make it work for the different teams that they have, depending on the work they're delivering for the organization. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that Mel highlighted that perfectly. There is no one size fits all. And, and of course, if I think about the industry that you're in, Amal, the airline industry, well... <laughs> What are we just going to ground planes for one day a week, or you know, no, we're not. So yeah, so this this is not a one size fits all. But I well, think- that's kind of happening anyway, right? Because of, <laughs> because of staffing shortages. <laughs> so all. Well, yeah. We're already getting a taste yeah, of that. Yeah, so th- that's great. So thank you for helping me think out loud there and, and and arriving at a more formed view. So because this is the stuff that I get asked about and no doubt um, each one of you are asked about, what do you think about? I think I don't really know yet. I need to think about that. So there you go. Um, okay, so we, we have uh, – had a very robust discussion for 50 minutes about some some a couple of gnarly issues. Um, very, very quickly, this is our last episode for, for 2022, and I'm not going to ask for reflections on 2022. What I am going to ask each of you, though, is what are you hopeful for in 2023? So I think that's a really nice way to finish the year. Susan, what are you hopeful for in 2023? I feel like I should have some really professional answer, but my answer is I want to get back to Europe. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, the, but, but on a professional level, as it relates to a career that soars, 
Uh, we're converting, we're migrating to an entirely new structure because the platform that a career that source is hosted on has is moving into this uh, structure that will encourage e- even more community and a, a stronger culture. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm hoping that for a smooth migration and to realize the stronger sense of community and uh, a strong culture that supports the advancement of women, uh, the career development that meets the career development goals and needs of our members and the leadership development needs of our members. Awesome. Awesome. Amal, what are you hopeful for in 2023? Oh my God. Do you have time? I have a long list. Um, I think maybe my top two would be more women who have the tools to address the systematic issues that are causing either bias against women or it's not helping advance women. So instead of us focusing on it's women need to scale up or women need to change this, how do we truly address the issues that are that are in the system, right, within the system? And for more women to know how to have that conversation at work or with their bosses. And secondly, I would say I would want more women to step up for themselves. You are confident, you are in your position for a reason, you are an asset to the organization and you're driving outcomes, ask for the promotion, ask, negotiate the salary, go for it. There's no stopping you at this point. 2023 is your year. Outstanding. Thank you. Mel, what are you hopeful for? Well, build on our uh, tradition and our goal of seeing more women uh Graciously self-promote. I do want to do a little bit of reflection. Uh, So listeners, I want to say thank you for your support along the way because it's been quite a journey this year. And in 2022, I have earned my first true keynote spot at a conference and landed my very first actual paid speaking gig. So I'm pretty excited about both of those. I feel like that's a great step for the work that we do here in a career that soars and and lead to soar. Uh, So thank you. Thank you all. And thank you all on this on this call. For 2023. Oh, I'm with them all. This is this is your year. It's a year to make stuff happen. There's doors opening. Uh, I want to see more women graciously self-promoting. And I am cautiously optimistic about uh, seeing us make some steps forward for women's rights, particularly in healthcare in the U.S. We took a bunch of steps backwards, and now we've got to try to take a few small steps forward. Uh, so that's, that's where I am right now. I'm hopeful for, so I'm very, very hopeful for women in sport, which of course is my, my, my other love. Um, and we have many, many things happening around the sporting world, which, absolutely translate into society because I, with the work I do in sport, diversity, equity and inclusion in sport, I know that so much of the world will listen to an elite athlete, but they won't necessarily listen to a politician. And I see more and more uh, women and men in sport 
really advocating for change for women for to level the playing field. And I see that as having a profoundly good impact on society and for women's rights. So I'm for if you're an athlete, particularly if you're an elite athlete with a platform, I am so behind you and please keep speaking up on behalf of women and women's rights because that's what I'm hopeful for. And then for a career that soars, I am so hopeful as always, for this platform, um, for, the, for our community. It is unique. Uh, it's brilliant. And the members are an amazing group of women who are on the women's team, to, to, to use Susan's phraseology from before. And I, I just want to encourage each one of those women to really step in and step up in this community because you reap what you sow. And, and I want to encourage more women to join us because – You've got the four of us here in your corner as your cheer squad, uh, really helping women navigate all of the stuff that goes on uh, in workplaces, in careers, in life, in leadership. And I'm just so hopeful for the impact we can make for women, women's rights and women in the workplace in 2023. Here, here. So, Susan Amal Mel, thank you for 2022. You are, you are, I'm just so privileged to have you in my corner and and I hope you know that I'm in yours and together we make a great team. And and I know that collectively we're having such an impact for women. Um, Listeners, this is sayonara, farewell, goodbye for for 2022. We will be back. Well, I I shouldn't say bigger and better because I actually don't know what that bigger and better looks like. But anyway, we're going to be back in 2023 (laughs) with more of these weekly episodes where you can hear advice, where you can ponder matters, where you can ask us questions, um, but ultimately know that that this cheer squad, Lead to Soar, the Lead to Soar podcast and the A Career That Soars community um, is your cheer squad, so, cheer squad. So please do tune on in. Happy holidays, everyone. Uh, stay safe and let's, and let's see you again in 2023. Love it. We're on your team. Happy New Year. Yeah, you're here. <laughs> this has been another episode of Lead to Soar, a production of a career that soars. You can reach Michelle Redfern at michelleredfern.com and Mel Butcher at melbutcher.com. Join us inside a career that soars at a career that soars.com.